0: With the assistance of a special forces sniper or with permission to use the CIA's paramilitary organization, Bin Laden could have been dealt with easily by bumping him off. We had goons from the FBI. They were loyal to their boss. They were loyal to their organization. They didn't give a shit about America. The deputy of Alec, the station, could not have stopped the FBI from getting that information. So it, it all sounds to me like they made Tom Wilshire some kind of a scapegoat and tended to play along with it, which is perfectly in his character. Who knows what, what happened on 9-11 anymore? Uh, I thought I knew, and, and, I, and I, was, I was obdurate in refusing to consider that anything was wrong with the, the idea that it was conducted by the enemy itself alone until I saw Building 7 collapse.
1: Hello, everyone. That was the voice of today's guest, Dr. Michael Shoyer. As a CIA intelligence officer, Dr. Shoyer ran the agency's Osama bin Laden tracking unit, known as Alec Station, from 1996 to 99. In the years after the September 11th attacks, Dr. Shoyer became famous for many of his views on U.S. foreign policy and criticised both the Clinton and Bush regimes for failing to assassinate Bin Laden when they had the chance. This interview was shocking to both myself and my co-host Adam Fitzgerald, as Dr. Scheuer entertains the possibility that the 9-11 attacks were plotted from within the US government. An inside job. He rejects, however, the common position that the CIA's Alex station played a pivotal role in this by withholding information on the hijackers from the FBI. Neither Adam nor myself currently know what to make of this. We started out by asking Dr. Shoya about his background and how he ended up joining the agency.
0: I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I went to school there. and I got a bachelor's degree at uh, Canisius College and a MA at Niagara University, both of both of which are Catholic colleges. Um, and I worked until nineteen twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, until I was twenty nine, either for the New York State Park Commission uh in in one or another there are parks uh, mowing lawns and uh cutting trees and doing that kind of thing and then i worked for 6 or 8 years for union carbide company uh and was involved in uh logistics there uh moving things from one place to another on trucks or payloaders
2: what um what type of household was it was it a religious household a political household how did you grow up uh to,
0: uh, oh, I guess it was just kind of an average. My father was a policeman. My mom uh, was a was a housekeeper. Uh, stayed home with the, with the children. Uh, I had two sisters. I I think it's just a kind of a working blue collar middle class life.
2: And when did you decide to become employed by CIA? How did this interest come about?
0: Well. I was uh, working on my PhD, and I belonged to the American Historical Association, and they used to publish a monthly um, digest of their events, but also at the end of it was a uh, listing of uh, openings for Mm -hmm. historians. And it was at the time when when, uh, Mr. Reagan was beefing up the agency, and they, for the first time in any advertisement I saw, they included uh, historians as someone they were looking for. So I applied uh, and and uh, received an offer to work there uh, or else I'd uh, be just retiring now from uh, uh, Union Carbide, I guess. When did it you- did, did, did It you wasn't a you... lifelong dream. Buffalo at that time was uh, shattered economically. And there were just very, very few jobs teaching or any other kind of work, and I was lucky enough to get in with Union Care. and held a job there for uh, pretty pr- best part of a decade. And uh, I, I was going to take any job that came, al- came along. I wanted to stay at home in Western New York, but I couldn't do it, so I came to Washington.
2: Did you always have a, a, an interest in Middle East politics, or was this something never. that grew on you later?
0: No, never. I, I studied uh, American history. And I ended up getting my PhD uh, from the University of Manitoba in Canada, uh, in Winnipeg, on uh, what they used to call the, the uh, uh, North Atlantic Triangle: uh, Canada, United States, and Great Britain. Did um, and when you became employed
2: by CIA, did they? Uh, you worked in the uh, what type of divisions did you work in?
0: I worked for about a year and a half in, in the analytic division there. And uh, I had an opportunity to move over into another analytic division and I worked on Afghanistan. And from there, I moved into the Directorate of Operations where I spent the rest of my career. Uh, I was, you know, just very fortunate. I had to take a course in British uh, colonial op- military operations. And uh, Afghanistan was one of them. So. I fit right in, and for my sins, I spent the rest of my career one way or another working on Afghanistan.
2: Was it uh, a choice that was easy for you, or was it uh, laid in your lap?
0: No, I. I in fact, uh, I got a lot of opposition. for the, I worked in the European Division, and I got a lot of opposition from them about going, but I wanted to go. I wanted to do it. Uh, somebody told me one time at the CIA, ride right to the sound of the guns, and I spent the rest of my career doing that kind of thing. So, and I had a good career and I, I, I resigned very, uh, not very reluctantly, the time was right, but sadly, I would say.
2: You know, you wrote in the book, Imperial uh, Hubris, uh, the following, one of the greatest dangers for Americans in deciding how to confront the Islamist threat lies in continuing to believe that the urging of senior US leaders that Muslims hate and attack us for what we are and think, rather than for what we do. Could you elaborate on that?
0: Well, yeah, it's it's a funny business. Uh, I, I I was cha- trained in in the historical method, if you will, by Jesuits when they were still amongst the best teachers and and thinkers in the world, and they, it was before they turned into the kind of airy fairy group they are at the moment. Uh, and. I, I always paid a lot of attention in the area of terrorism to open source material because it it tells you what they're thinking. and And certainly Osama bin Laden, had he been an American politician, would have been praised for being staying on message and being very clear on what he intended. And I think you can go through the through the corpus of his materials, which are quite extensive. Uh, and find out what he's talking about at all times is what we're doing and not who we are. He's very clear that what we're doing in this country in terms of social mores or behavior would have no part in in the Muslim world. But he wasn't fighting for those kinds of things. He was fighting because we had uh, military uh, people in the the Holy Land, in Saudi Arabia. We more or less controlled... uh, Uh, the price of oil for a long time in the kingdom and thereby cut back its revenue. Uh, We supported a string of dictators across the Arab world and still do, although there's fewer of them now. And um, we also uh, refused to uh, take on, uh, with our foreign policy, take on the Indians or the Chinese for their torture of Muslims in Xinjiang and parts of India.
1: So he, he was very clear, very
0: outspoken, uh, about what he wanted to articulate, too, about what he was saying. and But, you know, in Washington, if something's not stamped secret or top secret, people are not too much interested in him. I wrote four books on Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda, and none of them had any intelligence in it in terms of classified material. It was all open source. It was all from what bin Laden and his lieutenants said or other people said about them. So if you're not going to listen to to your enemy uh, about what his intentions are in fighting, then you're never going to know what kind of war you're going to fight until you get there, and most times you lose. Look at Vietnam. Uh, But in terms of uh, Afghanistan, we knew exactly what kind of war they were going to fight after they attacked us. It was too hard to keep trying to get us in the United States. It was a very long way from Afghanistan and had a lot of... uh, intricacies and getting into the country and then finding nooks in which to hide and then be able to operate from them So they wanted what what bin Laden said was we will sucker you into he didn't use the word sucker but that's what he meant we'll sucker you into coming to Ireland and then we'll take care of the problem and that's exactly what happened.
2: This resonated with me a bit Mr. Shoat because I I too you know I study uh, true crime and the psychology of criminals. In that the jihadist is a very unique mindset in that, unlike La Cosa Nostra or Mexican cartels um, or apolitical dissidents, the jihadist will actually tell you why they're attacking you and tell you at some points what they are attacking at. It's almost as if they're telling you why they're doing it because they're proud to tell you or as if they're wanting to tell you why. And there seems to be this huge disconnect between US officials and uh, the Pentagon in that they think that this is a, a, a an intricate, elaborate and very covert ideology. It's very, uh, I think it's very upfront up, up They're telling you why they're attacking you. And I think the great um, point here is that after the 93 bombing, Ramzi Youssef was allowed to speak before his sentencing, and he he gave an hour's speech. And during it, he said why he attacked the, uh, why he built the bomb and blew it up in the World Trade Center.
0: And and I think he said something about if he he had another $25,000, he would have brought the building down.
2: Yes, he would have brought the buildings down. Yeah. And I think that you know when I read Imperial Hoover's, I you know I I resonated with that because I said yes, that's exactly why. But yet there's this huge confusion as to why they're attacking. No, there isn't,
0: because right? no. they're,
2: they're they're straight up and very forward.
0: They're very forward. It's part of it's because of the religious motivation. I think they think they're doing God's work, and I guess if you think if you think that you're you're proud of being able to to push along the agenda of their Lord. Um, I also think that we're dreadfully ignorant of, of foreigners and, um, of foreign history of, uh, anything before Vietnam, for example, uh, you, 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 in, you encounter very senior people who don't know of, uh, don't know anything really. We had, when I was a young officer, I was, I spoke to the Senate select committee on, uh, intelligence. And we had a senior senator from the Midwest who was, had been a very strong supporter of, of helping the Afghans against the Red Army, who asked me, uh, he said, Mr. Scheuer, do you mean that after all we've spent uh, in the, on this war in support of these people to, to make them the winners or help to help them to be the winners, that there's going to be a Muslim government in Kabul if they win? And before I could say a word, the deputy director of CIA was sitting there and he jumped in and took it over because I was he was I think he was worried about what I was going to say. And he just said, it, it, well, it's not certain yet, sir, but it very much looks like that. But that that's after we had been there for eight years. The depth of ignorance amongst our leaders is almost uh, insurmountable. It's a it's a function, of course, of our um, uh, education system, having gone to, to to into the dumpster. But it's also a function of, whoa, if they're going to attack women's rights and if they're going to attack, it's an easy way to get us into a war without any kind of sen- sensical explanation of why. They just they run up the flag and they start talking about our civil liberties. And of course, the only thing the war against al-Qaeda did was to lessen our civil liberties.
2: Did you, um, you know, I, I, I agree with this uh, uh, synopsis. And it's interesting because in the very early day, just after the war, um, the CIA became interested in the activities of bin Laden and his group al-Qaeda when they moved to, when he relocated to Sudan. A- exactly when did the CIA become interested in bin Laden?
0: Well, for for a long time, we were, because of an of a, of a influence, I think you can uh, imagine, the counterterrorism operations were uh, focused on uh, Lebanese Hezbollah, yeah. the Iranians' uh, ally and the Israelis' enemy. And that only wore away a little bit because we had to not seem like we were waging war against a religion. Uh, according to the leaders uh, of the CIA under Clinton and the FBI the same way, uh, that, that we had to look for another person. And so they, they hooked on, we hooked on uh, to Osama bin Laden. Uh, we had known him, uh, not we, the agency, but the people that worked there, or worked on Afghanistan, had known him uh, as a person who had come at a young age into Afghanistan from the wealthiest family in Saudi Arabia, except for the royal family, and had supplied arms for the Mujahideen, had fought alongside of them, had a reputation for bravery, and had a reputation for providing aid uh, for the families of fighters who were killed or who were actually away in the field fighting. Uh, It was pretty much, uh, it was a very popular story in the uh, uh, Arab world and in the Asian world. That is in in mostly uh media products that weren't in english and so uh we we never needed to get in touch with osama bin laden at that time when we were well positioned to because he he was essentially doing god's work at that time he was trying to kill enough soviets to drive them out out and to bleed them we had a point during the afghan war which we supported Uh, where the Soviets were spending uh, some of their smaller and smaller uh, hoard of gold on Canadian wheat and then sending a a substantial part of it to Afghanistan to feed their armies and the people there. So uh, we could just turn a blind eye on bin Laden. And I think bin Laden would have never been a problem for us, except that after the war was over, When many in the agency urged the Americans to get out, the Afghans had been there for two millennia or more, had ruled themselves and they hate central government. We knew that that was why the British were always fighting is because they tried to establish a semi-democratic British influenced government in Kabul. Uh, Get out, let the Afghans take care of themselves. But no, we sent lawyers, and we sent NGOs, and we sent uh, teachers, and we sent women's rights people, and uh, the people who got into command in in, in uh, Kabul were the people who had opposed the Soviets rhetorically from India, from Italy, from France, uh, and the only people who didn't get any sense of the victory, any any spoils of the victory. Were the people who were uh, on the side of the people, if you will, and uh, there's a huge misunderstanding on Afghanistan because the heroes of the CIA in that case were the logistical people. Mm. They made sure that the weapons that we secured around the world got to the Afghans when they need them, when they needed them, in the amounts they needed them, and in working condition. Otherwise, uh, there was some good reporting on the area. I worked on it from. Uh, let me think, uh, 86 until, uh, 1991 full time. And, uh, the Afghans are a remarkable people in many ways. They're very brave. Uh, if you're there, you if they, win your, if you win their friendship, they're your friends forever. They also can be the biggest liars and deceivers. They're, they're brutal at times, but they're their own people. Uh, you, you more than probably anybody else on earth. One of the one of the tools we used to get somebody to do something they didn't want to do was to offer them a green card. And the Afghans would whenever you tried that, the Afghans would look at you and say, "What are you talking about? I'm from Afghanistan. Why would I want to go to the United States?" And so it's, it it was a it was a mistake to stay there and try to bring uh, you know um, Monticello on the Kabul River for the Afghans. All it did was make them hate us. And what did we do when we went back after 9-11? Same damn mm-hmm. thing.
2: Um, you know, I just want to follow up on that, just get your thoughts on, uh, there's an online conspiracy. Um, when the CIA was running the operation, Operation uh, Cyclone, that uh, somehow that bin Laden was involved in this uh, operation that he received training and funding finances. finances. Uh, Dr. Ayman al-Zohari, Wrote a book called *Knights Under the Prophet's Banner*, where he basically stated that at no point did Bin Laden ever receive direct funding from the CIA or the agency that was me- was made up by the West. Is that true, or is that is this just basically unfounded?
0: Well, the first thing you do uh, when you start uh, an operation at, at a particular target or a particular group is to make sure you know everything you know, you know or you're aware of everything you hold in terms of documents and records. And we went through enormous amounts of records, very sophi- with some sophisticated programming and by just page by page by eye uh, and found nothing. I, I, am ne- I never saw anything that said any of our weapons were, were directed toward Osama bin Laden. Now, we were not the distributors of those weapons. We worked through the the Pakistani Intelligence Service, the ISID, and also the Pakistani army. So who they gave those to, we didn't uh, interfere in for the most part until Clinton came into power. And then he and his wife, uh, you know, you can't give guns to people who are not uh, involved in the idea of women's rights and women's welfare as it is they are in the United States. So they basically came down to a a deal on delivering arms. And the Pakistanis continued to arm the people that fought. And uh, we were ordered to give weapons to a portion of the weapons to the people who talked about opposing the communists and the Soviets in Afghanistan, but really sold dope spoke english wore suits and then would sell the guns we gave to them so it became kind of a political uh charade uh, about uh, putting uh, weapons into the hands of people if they who if they won would be more like us they they never fought they just uh, drugged people up and uh, exported heroin to the united states and other places and uh, but that's the way they play politics in the united states
2: Did the CIA, you know, after the war, did the CIA think that bin Laden would be a danger or a threat to the United States?
0: I I can't remember that being the case until, um, well, until I I went to, to the Counterterrorism Center in either 91 or 92 as the chief of a group that was called, I think it was called Islamic Extremists at the time. We couldn't call them terrorists anymore, uh, and I think that's rightfully they're insurgents more than anything else. Mm. Uh, but we we had everybody mixed together, and um, uh, there were Algerians, and there were uh, people out of the Balkans and Albania and other places like that up there, and we had uh, terrorists in the Philippines, and that whole conglomeration of Islamists around the world fell into our unit. Then uh, there was a shuffle of management in the agency and they wanted to set up a special organization that would go after a major terrorist group and see if we could, uh, uh, you know, knock it down. And initially everybody wanted to do Hezbollah, but it needed uh, the president's uh, uh, um, approval. And uh, that didn't come, no war on religious organizations. And so uh, we we focused on Bin Laden. And I think you said earlier just about the time he went to the Sudan. Uh, but that that turned into a mockery of of, of uh, covert operations, because, because again, there's everybody in the Congress who can defend who will defend foreigners before Americans. I will give you one example: Bin Laden had a extensive agricultural. Um, operation going in, uh, Eastern Sudan, uh, the, 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 Sudanese government owed him money and they paid him instead with land and he was happy to have it. He loved to, to, to farm and he was, they were good at it. And so he had a great deal of mechanical machinery there and we had arranged an operation that would have, uh, been able to, um, sabotage that material so if, if it was run, it would it would break up. It would its engine would it, they would have a horrible time with it and it would slow down their ability to earn money via agriculture. And it also would put a big big hole in, in bin Laden's uh, pocketbook.
2: Hmm. Uh,
0: we had to take it to the Congress for their approval. And we talked to a subcommittee of the Committee on Intelligence in the House of Representatives. And they said no, because if we ruined that equipment, it would put local Sudanese people who worked for bin Laden out of work. And shortly after that, of course, uh, they attacked uh, Kenya and uh, Tanzania. So it's always a humorous thing to me about how little uh, anybody in the Congress really cares about defending Americans, at least in my experience, which ended in 2004. But it seems to me, if anything, it's gotten worse since then.
2: Let's talk about Sudan, because when Bin Laden moved to the Sudan, it's, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's noted that the the CIA began surveillance at his house in the Khartoum, and that there was one very legendary CIA officer, uh, you're familiar with, Billy Wah who had become an evaluate who evaluated bin laden and his security detail and even outlined a plan to cuz he would actually jog in the morning and see bin laden the security detail go to the mosque in the morning and stuff and that he became familiar with them thinking he's a you know a fitness guru or something was there any plans to detain or rendition bin laden or kill him and if so were there were, were those plans why weren't those plans approved
0: Oh, because what if we killed him? Would, was always the answer. Uh, my my officers, or at least the officers who worked for me, uh, and 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 with us in the field, provided uh, Mr. Clinton ten different opportunities between nineteen ninety seven and two thousand and in nineteen ninety seven and 1999, 10 opportunities to either kill. Osama bin Laden uh, using the military or to capture him and take him to a place where people would probably never hear of him again. Uh, the, the head of the Joint Chiefs at the time wanted no part of any military operation against bin Laden because Al Qaeda, he said, wasn't a threat. They practiced, they practiced on gym equipment in the desert. and Why should we ever take them as a, as a threat? And, uh, as far as the senior part of the CIA is wh- when you have an operation that they've asked you to, uh, put together. And if it's not a hundred percent, they start to get sweaty. And if it's like 60, 40, 50, 50, uh, they almost always say no. And the reason they say no is the question is not the question. Uh, What would the American people think if we tried it and it didn't work? But what would the New York Times and the Washington Post think Mm -hmm. if we tried it and it didn't work? And then they would be all over us. They never asked the question, how many Americans die if we don't at least give it a go? Uh, That that at least is my experience on 10 different occasions when we had an opportunity. We had an opportunity to take him, uh, to kidnap him and get him out of uh, Afghanistan to a country which was eager to have him removed from the scene and from which you could all, all but guarantee that he would never uh, be heard of again. And it was it, the plan was dropped because the FBI said, well, why should we be helping you if we're not gonna get credit, uh, we're not gonna get the skin, we're not gonna get the uh, trophy. And, uh, that that ended that uh, of course the FBI uh, is is a, is an organization that is a minimally intelligent organization and one that is interested only in uh, the plaudits it can win for themselves individually and for the for the organization not particularly in the United States and I think we've seen that in spades under under Trump or while Trump was in there
2: did you recognize the danger of Bin Laden at a very early stage in Sudan, or I took
0: him—I took him very seriously, sir, on a, a, uh, on, a on the basis of uh, following what he said uh, about what what he was fighting for, why he was fighting for it, and what actions he was going to take, and on all scores in his voluminous rhetoric it was, uh, you know, 70% or more, uh, it dwarfed any American politician. And he, on, on the positive side, if he said it, he was going to do it, or he was going to at least try to do it. Mm. And, uh, seriously, I, I was on, I was on the scene and watched men armed with, uh, AK 47s and, and, uh, other materials of the Korean war vintage drive the Red Army out of Afghanistan with no air cover, with no artillery to speak of, no armor against a Red Army that played only by its own rules, not by uh, world rules for just war or something like that. They were brutal. They were they were murderous. uh, And they still drove them out. So Not to take someone who had won the affections and allegiance of the Afghans who beat the Soviets and a man who also spoke his mind and made sure he followed up and did what he said he was going to do. I thought, foolishly maybe, but I thought it was not a mistake. In many ways, he thought like a a Jesuit, very logically, very orderly thinker Uh, and and in in his own way, an articulate and at times an eloquent man. Always dealing with real problems, not airy fairy problems.
2: Were was there any connection inside Al Qaeda up to this point? Was there any uh, informants working with you that uh, had connections to Al Qaeda in the Sudan, or was it totally, or were there none?
0: No, there was some. We got some reporting uh, out of Sudan. Uh, not much. We followed him basically there on the basis of open source material. Our, our people were able to collect some intelligence there. But again, uh, until Bin Laden became a problem, a, a public problem for the United States, the emphasis inside the agency was Hezbollah's activities in the Sudan. It was only after maybe the Kenya attacks that the big tough boys who were in Sudan at the time said, oh, we knew all about them and we we were going to take care of them and this and that. And it wasn't true. Uh, they talked about getting them, but their their job is as assigned by headquarters was Hezbollah. I don't know if it was headquarters in Tel Aviv or headquarters in Washington, but uh, that's what it was.
2: Was there any signals intelligence operations on bin Laden in the Sudan? Because it's reported that the NSA were listening to the satellite phones of bin Laden uh, in Sudan.
0: I think you can say as a general rule, uh, NSA listens to most anything you can imagine being out there. The problem was getting NSA to share it with anybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They go back and they tell you, here is the 1947, uh, uh, some kind of an act that gave them in charge of all of uh, uh, SIGINT. And what, what you needed, what you needed in terrorism, not just on bin Laden, but on all of the groups you, that were a threat to the United States, what you needed was the verbatim uh, discussion between A and B and C or X and Y. How, did, how What did they say? How did they say it? And what was the context of the discussion? And all you would get from NSA was summaries. Um, I think they looked on terrorism as part of the agency looked on it as a as a sideline issue. Russia was the problem, or China was the problem, or uh, keeping the current president in power was the problem. Uh, so it's uh, I, I would be surprised if there wasn't. Uh, there's there's things I'm still bound by my oath of office. I can't I can't tell you. Um, right. It was easier in Afghanistan because. We had been there since uh, 1979, 1980. We knew a lot of people. We had a lot of people who worked for us and we were able to gather significant human intelligence because of our background there. And we had a number of of, uh, officers who worked on that war for its entirety uh, from 79 until I think 1991 or two, something like that. And, uh, they were, they were, they spoke the language, they, or one of those languages at least, and they, uh, they, they knew the people and we were able to put up a very strong collection, uh, operation inside of Afghanistan, uh, within, uh, you know, at most a month or months and a quarter. After uh, Brother Osama went back there,
2: mm. uh,
0: he had he and he had people in there before, but uh, the bulk of his important leaders came with him from the Sudan. And so uh, we had a steady flow of, of, of uh, good intelligence. The chief of station in in, uh, in Pakistan was an outstanding officer and he worked his people hard. He put them in danger and they collected the information that gave Mr. Clinton 10 opportunities to capture or kill him.
2: <clears throat> Why did the Clinton administration reject all these proposals?
0: Well, I, I, you know, they say that the president actually went a couple of times to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and said, "Why don't you use your ninjas to go after these guys?" I've heard this, and, and I told you uh, previously that that the yeah. the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs had no time for Bin Laden. None of my resources are going to be go after them. Uh, so. We had to plan these things ourselves. And the point to make is with the assistance of uh, a special forces sniper or with permission to use the CIA's paramilitary uh, organization, bin Laden could have been dealt with easily by bumping him off. Mm. But American presidents are so afraid of being chastised by the world for killing a threat to America, that they would rather send young men women to die in a war uh, to remove that person, whether take, instead of taking the easy way out. It, 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 if, it, if it is not patent insanity for a country to recognize a leader so powerful or so influential that he may well be able to uh, direct some kind of activity against the continental United States, if they think it's better to fight a war against him than to send uh, a team responsible for his elimination, I find that unconscionable, unreasonable, uh, Mm -hmm. idiotic. Look at what we lost in Iraq because we wouldn't send somebody to kill Saddam. Look at what we have lost in, in, in opening the way for Islamism in North Africa by either uh, leaving uh, Gaddafi alone, who had probably the most prosperous Arab country in the world, and certainly he was helping us more than he ever had before. Uh, and now North Africa is topsy-turvy and certainly an open ground for the growth of a new a new generation of Islamists. So I'm, I've never been, I've always been the one that believes that force is the last result, or last response, but, but the last response that protects you from sending your military, your young, youngsters to war with a set of generals who haven't won anything 19, since 1945, is to me, you would avoid, you avoid that as, to the greatest extent possible.
2: Ninety-six was a very big year. Um, And, uh, you know, my question for you is that. um, How did the CIA become aware of this Al-Qaeda communications hub in Sana'a, Yemen at this time?
0: Well, we always knew that they were in Yemen. Um, Bin Laden had a very uh, close personal tie to one of the tribes in Yemen. Because I think his father came from Yemen, mm-hmm. and Yemen had been a place where we re- we would naturally collect uh, intelligence. So we have a, we had a long-standing ability to do that because of the oil routes through there, because it's close to Iran and close to Saudi Arabia. So that's uh, that's one of the reasons we were able to uh, collect some very you know very useful intelligence out of Yemen.
2: The house was owned by a person named Ahmed Al-Hada, who's an associate of bin Laden. And um, the NSA had become aware of this uh, home and were monitoring the, uh, the phone lines of this home. And it's asserted through the FBI that there was an individual uh, by the name of Khalid Val Fawaz who had delivered a phone from New York to Afghanistan through Virginia to Afghanistan and that this satellite phone went to bin Laden in Tora Bora. Incidentally enough, when the FBI found out, uh, they contacted the NSA to try and, uh, monitor this phone line to see where it went, but they had no idea it went to bin Laden. And incidentally enough. The phone was decrypted. So it was easy for the NSA to, uh, crack the phone and listen to the phone calls. And through here, they became aware of the number in the, uh, the house in Yemen. That information was passed on to you or- No, I've
0: never heard that story before. Really? Yeah. The FBI doesn't share anything with anyone, sir. They steal from you. I I had FBI agents take boxes of uh, CIA uh, um, cables, uh, communications out of the uh, agency and over to their headquarters. Uh, I would report it to sir, the, the, my chief, the head of the counterterrorism center. Uh, he would report it to Tenet, who was the chief of the CIA at the time. And they both came back and said, you solved the problem, Mike." And uh, so that went on and on and on, because there's no way for me to stop the FBI from doing anything unless I have support from, uh, you know, a little bit higher command than than I represent. But they're, they could have, well, the one thing I found out in, in running the operation, and I ran it from late 95 until 99, was that just because I was in charge didn't mean I knew everything that was going on. Uh, the British play a big part in this. You know, when we got so many chances in the kind of time frame from May to September of 1997, uh, Mr. Tenet, the director of the DCI at the time would, would take every chance we got down to the White House into their, uh, um, senior group on foreign policy, which could include the secretary of state, or did include the secretary of state, the CIA director, some of the joint, some of the military, um, FBI, a number of people. Either this, the topmost people, head of the agency level people, their their um, lieutenants, or someone that they designated. And Tennant used to tell us, well, you know, the argument we had was, if we get to a point where we have a 50-50 shot at this, we should take it. Because given the nature of life in Afghanistan and the ability to move quickly uh, with trucks and things, it's better if we take a chance and if we miss, we try again. Uh, but the uh, tenant would say, okay, I'll do that. I'll pass that message. And now, as we, as when everything was over a decade later, uh, we found out that tenant would always tell uh, the, 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 this committee that he, he worked with that it was a 50 uh, 50 chance and we need it. But instead of say, saying 50 50 chance, but we better take it while we got it, uh, he would say, well, we needed another string of. Uh, intelligence, and he would always say another, we have to get the British to do this so we can confirm our own reporting. Uh, And that was typical. We still, our senior people still behave in most cases as if we were colonials and that the Brits can do anything. While in Afghanistan, in my career in Afghanistan, which was over, was about 20 years, uh, most of the things they did in Afghanistan, we paid for. it is, a, it is a strange, strange animal that a country uh, curries. Um, a has-been great power and uh, uh, depends on it or trusts its word more than the word of its own officers who are risking their lives to get the information. But that's, uh, again, another nature of this particular beast.
2: And let's, uh, yeah, let's revisit uh, when you became situated there. That um, David Cohn, who was head of the CIA's director of operations, uh, had an idea in mind, which was to create a virtual station that would fuse the intelligence disciplines into one office that would focus on uh, a singular individual. Um, yes. In, in this case, it was Osama bin Laden. And he he actually by so- default. I have to
0: remind you that 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 was by default because what? they wouldn't go after Hezbollah because they judged Hezbollah uh, a uh, um, religious organization as well as a terrorist organization because of the leader of Hezbollah was also a, a ordained cleric. I don't know if they call, call it ordained in in uh, Islam. I can't remember, but he was a legitimate religious leader, a caliph. I can't remember what his name was, sir.
2: Hasran Nasrallah.
0: Um, Nasrallah. Nasrallah.
2: Well, I, yeah, and in and, and this case, it's Osama bin Laden. And he actually selects you as the chief of station because you were currently running the CTC's Islamist extremist branch and you were the most qualified.
0: Well, uh, that's partially right, sir. I also was a former director of intelligence uh, officer, uh, an analyst. And... Uh, i was the second or third or fourth choice because first of all the the virtual station was a new animal mm-hmm. to the uh a- agency second thing was uh it had an authority to send and receive messages without uh uh dealing with the with the uh they, we had an authority to send messages whatever the other uh, area divisions thought, whether it was NISA or, or, or Near East South Asia, whether it was um, uh, Europe, Africa, whatever. Right. And so suddenly there's this independent, almost independent um, organization that didn't fit into the into the, what would it have been then. It would have been more than 50, 55 years of, of uh, regional organization in the agency. So they approached four or five different senior directorate of operations officers, and they all turned it down. And at least I was told when they came to me, I was gonna be the deputy. When they came to me, they said, well, these guys didn't wanna take a chance with their career, because they might end up uh, winning uh, the uh, enmity of the area division chiefs if they did this. So. By default, uh, I have no doubt in my own mind that because of my experience, I was the best one to do it. But I would have not had it, had any of those uh, gentlemen manned up and did what was necessary, but they didn't.
2: So, okay,
0: yeah, I didn't know that much. Uh, so you, were, you
2: you actually became the chief of station. And were you in charge, what were your primary duties there, and were you in charge of like recruiting people to, to work at this station?
0: I was in charge of assisting the stations that were relevant to the operation to uh, identify targets, which the, the case officers on the ground would then try to approach, um, uh, uh, analyze, and and uh, I forget the terms, uh, but to approach and eventually curry them to the point where they would give us information uh one 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 thing we solved with with uh with this kind of a station was terrorism as it grew uh became a multi-continent um operation there was stuff that the fellow in uh say in the balkans had to we asked to do but he couldn't do it without some help from people in the middle east and maybe somebody in europe so we could put together that help very much more quickly than three different area divisions trying to work together. They also gave me authority to sign, uh, to to spend money uh, far greater than most chiefs of stations had. So I could supply, my station could supply people and money for the operations we wanted to to operate uh, against Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda. And so I had those advantages. I also had the advantages of uh, about uh, at, at the peak of the station. I think I had 27 people, and uh, 21 of them were women, and they were the smartest uh, anti-terrorist people that you could imagine. Uh, I could never imagine it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they're, they're experts at minutia of making connections of seeing how character reflects itself in, in actions or in words, um, <clears throat> working with, you know, very little information and very difficult information, telephone numbers, credit card numbers, uh, registration numbers, uh, citizenship cards, that kind of thing. They were very, very effective. And we were able to send them to any number of places around the world where, where we had a station. That had a target for, that we needed to have contact with, or at least uh, contact with somebody who could report about it. And uh, those women would go out there uh, and and do it more often than not, much more often than not, a spectacular job. And so I had, I had the strongest uh, cadre of target people, targeters that you could imagine. And of course, the agency being not quite out of the old boys era, didn't like the fact that uh, women were su- doing so well. They called them the Manson family mm-hmm. uh, as a derogatory, not as a not as a humorous thing. But they showed him in more ways than one that uh, they delivered the goods and uh, these big tough guys uh, didn't do a thing but drop the ball and cost dead American lives.
2: Were you were you hesitant working with other agencies? I know the FBI was there uh, NSA
0: I don't was want it- anybody in my organization, sir, that leaks material. I had FBI officers calling from me calling me from New York City and reading to me uh, from classified information that came in from overseas that was stolen from our uh, station, taken to the FBI and sent to their field offices. I, we had military people in, in there that were perfectly uh, trustworthy. Uh, we had people from NSA that were spectacular. But we had goons from the FBI. They were loyal to their boss. They were loyal to their organization. They didn't give a shit about America.
2: <clears throat> and around the, also at the same time, there was another operation from the uh, the U.S. Special Operations Command and the Defense Intelligence Agency was able danger. Never heard of but, it. Yeah, that was a data mining program.
0: They, they they never shared a thing with us. I never knew about it until after nine eleven. And it, it was, was in, never, but it was in the media.
2: Yeah, that was. Um, I was just going to say, what were your thoughts about the uh, another program that was going to run coincidentally aside your, from the Bin Laden issue station?
0: It, it was unnecessary. What did they do? Did they kill him? We would have welcomed the help of the military, but the military doesn't want to help or didn't want to help. Uh, But, you know, an operation against bin Laden that we knew nothing about uh, was detrimental. If you ran into somebody or if you persuaded somebody to take action on something that was not based on good information. Military intelligence is not as much a, 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 what do they call it, oxymoron as it used to be. But it's still not the CIA, at least it wasn't in the late 90s.
2: How effective was the bin Laden issue station in the
0: early years? All all, uh, its task was to take down as much of al-Qaeda as we could and prepare an operation that could take him out or to capture him. And between um, December of 95 and when I got fired in June of 99, Mission accomplished. We never had the the choice of make taking of of in, instigating the operation. If they had instigated the operation, it would have been uh, we, all the tasks were accomplished, and the in the end task would have been accomplished. But they didn't. They watched Bin Laden blossom and Al Qaeda blossom. We captured as early as ninety six photographs uh, of uh, Al Qaeda. Uh, people in the united states training in in georgia and i think florida to drive or to fly 745 747s and other big aircraft um uh there's no reason that that 911 needed to happen sir basically is the, is the answer uh it, it would have been for the agency had they acted as men and attacked and finished this problem it would have been for the agency what the flag on Iwo Jima was to the United States Marine Corps. But they were cowards, moral, and I don't know about physical, but certainly moral cowards, job protective, uh, generally speaking, not caring about Americans or not caring about even their own officers who risked their lives, their well-being, to collect the information that was needed and asked for.
2: I know I related to you before about the penetration of Al-Qaeda at this point, because, uh, you know, wh- how hard was it to penetrate Al-Qaeda regarding getting informants in the group? Now, we've had foreign agents like Eamon Dean. He wrote a book called Nine Lives, where he actually uh, worked for British intelligence and became situated with Al-Qaeda, meeting even top leaders. You've had Morton Storm. You've had Egyptians and Saudis. How hard was it for the CIA to penetrate Al-Qaeda? And did they ever at all up to this point ever have anybody inside the group?
0: Throughout my, throughout our career, my career, or throughout the station's career until June of 99, uh, I think we did not have one inside. We had people close to al-Qaeda who were reporting on people who were inside. We had the great advantage of Osama bin Laden regularly telling us what he was going to do. We had a, a good deal of that coming also from Ayman and Zawahiri. Mm. Um, several excellent sources uh, in Yemen, which were ours. Uh, but uh, no, I don't think we could. we can say that.
2: Because it's alleged there was a it's alleged that Ali Muhammad, who you're familiar with, yes, uh, had worked at some level with the CIA and the FBI.
0: Uh, well, I, when I was there. I couldn't rule out the I couldn't rule out the uh, FBI, but not with us.
2: But not with the CIA. No.
0: Well what, we we're all aware of Ali Muhammad because he made himself available to us through other means.
2: Right. Now, why, why did they uh, replace you in 99? What was the reason for that?
0: After the 10th opportunity that they turned down, I uh, sent uh, an email to every senior person that I knew in that agency at the, at the highest levels. Uh, simultaneously, they were all listed in the, in the address that said, basically, listen, this is not a game. Uh, you are going to regret at some point giving up all of these uh, opportunities without even trying them, and the cost will not be directly to the agency. It will be to the American people, which you have let down. Something to that effect. It's still in the electronic file somewhere. They never throw anything away. Hmm. Uh, but, but that kind of got him a little upset.
2: Was Tom Wilshire a, a, a good deputy director for Bin Laden
0: Station? Tom, uh, Tom is one of the best men I've ever met. Uh, um, I was glad to have him there. But I didn't work with him for that long because this all happened uh, very rapidly. Um, and I had gotten in some other Dutch with, uh, they, they, they parachuted in a, a guy, an FBI guy who they were trying to hide from uh, Louis, Louis Free at the time. He had been the one that fingered, if you remember the Atlanta Olympics, he fingered wow. that security guard that Richard, was a Richard little... Richard Jewell. Yes. Yeah, he, he was a little mentally impaired or something. And this guy fingered him and uh, uh, free on, on the advice of this, the reporting of this person, brought the house down on him and, and then let him go. So the FBI had been trying to hide him around and they parachuted him into our uh, organization, uh, our our station. And within a week, he had turned things upside down. Uh, The FBI doesn't treat women as the agency did. Uh, Women get coffee, women make copies, women take something from here to there. And he was treating my officers, as I described, which were three quarters women at the time, as if they were just FBI women. And uh, I kind of headed out with, uh, with, not with, I tried to do it diplomatically via a note that said, listen, uh, if you want a briefing on what we've accomplished before your arrival, I can give it to you or any of those women sitting out there can give it to you. They're not coffee getters. They're not to be, they don't do your talking points. They don't, they, they get bin Laden if anybody would be willing to do it. And so that got got back to the FBI and that caused some heartburn over there. So once I send the message to the rest of the agency, after they did not exercise the 10th of their opportunities to kill or capture bin Laden, um, I I had pretty much uh, 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 was no longer um, necessary for them. And I wasn't. I, I, I had no more use really for Uh, being responsible for an organization that uh, mission, it was not really um, supported by anybody in the United States government. At the senior level, I got tremendous support from within the working level people. But what they call the seventh floor in the FBI or at the CIA or any place else in Washington is where the decisions are made. And they're mostly made for political reasons, not national security reasons.
2: I do want to go back a little bit because this was a yeah. uh, this was a stickler for me, and it involved you. Uh, there was uh, there was an argument between you and um, the Barbara McNamara, the infamous, where yes. the NSA had monitored the phones in Yemen, the Al Qaeda communications up in Yemen. You had a bug inside the house, and you were only listening to half.
0: We built the a machine; they wouldn't do it at all. We built a machine. A very, very excellent uh, female officer worked with the with the, a directorate of um, science and technology. I think they called it at the time I was there, and they built a machine that could intercept uh, out of Yemen. And we, uh, but only what we could, we we didn't have the ability anywhere near NSA. Right. we could we could we could grab one link and I don't remember if it was the uplink or the down link, but on the basis of what we had constructed, it would have been easy for a powerful organization like NSA to complete it. So we would get it the, the, the link we got we, we would download, we would uh, capture, uh, um, translate and send it to NSA and say, uh, we believe this information is is uh, uh, useful, and we think it would be more useful if you could, uh, uh, you know, complete uh, the the mechanism, and so we can get both sides of the conversation. And we would we I, w- I would always put a sentence in in the lead paragraph that said, you know, we of course re- realize that you want to defend the American people as much as we do. And so we await your your, uh, positive response. Of course, there was never a positive response. I finally went out. I think I went out there or I talked to her on the phone and she kind of waved the 1947 some kind of act in my face and said, we don't have to do anything you've asked for. You're not going to get the verbatim transcripts. You're you're not going to get, uh, even if we finish your machine, we'll take it over and you're not going to get the verbatim conversations off of that. There's there is a very clear um, message and very clearly the big men at the at the agency did nothing about it.
2: And you were replaced by Richard Blee in ninety nine. Did yes. did you find did you find Richard Blee to be a worthy replacement? And did he run it differently than you would have ran it?
0: I think Rich Blee is one of the better officers I ever met. I don't know if he wanted it or not, but uh, he was, at, I think, at the time uh, uh, one of uh, uh, the director's um, lieutenants. And I under as I understood it, uh, he did. Um, uh, he, he got an order to go there, and he did. <clears throat> Excuse me, sir. And. Um, uh, I- I think he did a very good job. He had he had several more chances that they could have got Bin Laden between uh, the time I left and uh, um nine eleven. And then uh, he he also was uh, in after nine eleven. He he demanded that I come back, uh, and I did go back as what they called a senior advisor. But, you know, most of it, anything important that he wanted me to do, they, it would get squashed by either the direct, Deputy Director of Operations or the Chief of CTC.
2: And so the NSA had become aware of a meeting in Malaysia. and um, they Sir, passed I, can't,
0: on... I can't talk about this part because I wasn't there.
2: Oh, okay. All right. This
0: is, if it's, uh, I, can't, I can't speak with any uh, more than observation from the outside after right. after June 30th, 1999.
2: Right. All uh, right. I understand. Because there was. A, I was going to talk about an incident regarding the cable that was read by Doug Miller, and he couldn't share that information with FBI. And I wanted but, to know okay, why. Okay. I can,
0: I can observe on the face of that, it's a lie. No one ever asked anybody at the agency to share information. They would simply steal it. Uh, one of one of the guys we had there was later sent to prison for some kind of uh, cr- criminal activity was it when he was a c b uh, fbi uh, officer right um, the the how can I, yeah, I tell me what your question was once again sir please Just yeah so, sure or,
2: um the, the thing was was that there was, there was there was a cable that came in it was about Khalid Al-Badar and wafa Hazmi's U.S. visas, and they were coming to the United States, to uh, Los Angeles.
0: I've heard of that from the media. That's correct.
2: Right. And that this cable came in. It was read by Doug Miller, the FBI Uh agent out of New York, and he was drafting a cable to warn Washington headquarters, but he needed the approval of Tom Wilshire. And according to the story uh, related to me, it was that uh, that the, the cable went to Tom Wilshire, and he told Michelle and Casey, an analyst there, to please hold up her Wilshire. And that this cable came to came back to Doug Miller and it was not allowed to be sent because they didn't think that the uh, the next attack would be in the United States, but in Southeast Asia. But you had Al-Midar and al hadmi coming to the United States. So this was the big disconnect. And then later... Mark- I'll tell
0: you my, my perception of that right. is that uh, of all the FBI guys, Doug Miller was about the best one. He was a, a financial expert who stayed in his lane. Uh, but he would not have been the only one to see that cable, right? And his other brethren in the agency would have would have taken just taken a copy and walked it over. And the the other point I would make on dealing with the FBI is that. Uh, the only way you could, they it, it, when we started the station, they had those, they called them teletypes. There's, they're those machines that, I don't even know if you have them at the airports anymore, but they make a racket when they print off a, 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 a plane list, a passenger list. And then they went get, went over to fax machines. You'd send them a fax and they say, well, we can't find where the fax is. And we couldn't send them anything on the um, the first the first item I mentioned the first tool I mentioned because we didn't have them anymore. So at the end at the end of the right up until 9-11, um, we were sending things uh, by uh, uh, fax machine and courier. Every day there would be several trips. Uh, to the FBI or several times a week, uh, there'd be multiple trips to the FBI to take information over there because they couldn't find it once we sent it to them. Now, Tenant, for all of his problems, I was told he offered uh, uh, Louis Free the same uh, computer system that we had, uh, which was, yeah, I'm no computer expert, but I, it always amazed me what it could do. Um, but he didn't want it. So when the the, the, communi- the idea of a communication problem between us and them was uh, certainly true. Uh, Louis Free kept them in the, about the 1930s, 1940s. Uh, but in terms of actual getting a hold of the material that was in our agency in which all of their officers read, uh, it wasn't true at all. And they, 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 uh, they fixed their communications problems, not electronically, but per, by, by purloining classified information and endangering the assets that uh, um, uh, provided us that information.
1: Can I just jump in at that point? Because I, I think this what? is really central. I don't know about you, Adam, but I've never heard anyone you know, give this account from this perspective before, because it really contradicts a lot of what's being put out. Um, I'm thinking in the in the dramatization of the looming tower, the book, the, the, the dramatization of that that was on Hulu or something. Uh, it's the CIA that come out looking quite bad, and that is Alex Station that comes out looking quite bad in uh, yeah. well, refusing you know, I, to share I, the information.
0: You know, people don't like being told that we have a responsibility to um, the working fella in Texas as much as we do to the work to the president of the United States. And I came from a kind of a working-class blue-collar family, as I said, and I never had a white, white-collar job until I was just short of thirty. And so I, I, I took it very seriously, and I, and I still would if I was still working. But they don't. Uh, they may pay lip service to it, but they don't give a good damn about it. And in terms of I've always already described to you the criminal activity I had going in my station of people stealing classified information, which should have put them in jail, but there was nobody in the agency willing to uh, do what they would have done to an agency person who was taking information in that manner.
2: It, it, it's also, really.
1: yeah, go ahead, Richard. Well, I was just going to ask about it's also a perspective we heard from national security coordinator, Richard Clark, isn't it? I think he, was the first person that became prominent with this narrative In about twenty eleven he did an interview with the two men who went on to author the book The Watchdogs Didn't Bark, which presented this narrative and featured interviews of various uh, people in the FBI, including Mark Rossini, who was in Alexation at that time, um presenting this narrative that the the CIA and in particular, it really falls on Tom Wilshire, blocked this information going to the um, to the FBI and then, Lied to the Senate inquiry about it, saying that no, and including George Tennant, lied to the Senate inquiry, saying that nobody had seen uh, those emails or those uh, messages right. where it became clear that over 50 people had seen them. So this is a. Uh, uh,
0: Here's so what I can d- say, sir, uh, uh, about Tom Wilshire. He was an excellent officer. He's a brilliant man. <clears throat> and he's not an aggressive person, though. He's not um, combative. He was a very good deputy Uh, and see for anybody to say, like even as much as I admire and like Doug Miller, the deputy of ALEC, the, 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 the station, could not have stopped the FBI from getting that information, either with the approval of the agency or not, because all Doug Miller or any other FBI agent had to do was to uh, walk about 75 feet ac- across the hall and into another area of offices. And the deputy chief of the counterterrorism center was, and maybe still today is, a, a senior FBI officer. So if he had go- went and told that man his problem, uh, it would have been solved pretty quickly because the the... Agency would have bent over backwards and said, you know, uh, oh yeah, of course you need to see this. Do send it right away. So it, it all sounds to me like they made Tom Wilshire some kind of a scapegoat, and tended to played along with it, which is perfectly in his character.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's a massive narrative, right? In that, if you ask the average American who's Tom Wilshire, they're, they're not going to know. But certainly no, in the kind of know, around nine eleven, his
0: life he's going to be on the record. Yeah. For- for uh, doing something that he probably didn't intend to be final, but certainly the FBI had no qualms about going to their own senior person and getting anybody below that senior person overruled. It's a It's hokey to believe that that happened. It's not well, hokey. I should take that back. Unless you lived it, you, you might not believe it.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's become the predominant for people just for people who are into this and reading about it. I would say that's the. Would you agree, Adam? That's become the predominant predominant narrative around Alex Station.
0: I did it actually. Is. Yeah. Well, I wrote when I found out about the the um, the uh, what is it called? Leaning Tower or the
1: Looming Tower?
0: Looming Tower. Yeah. Uh, it's a funny thing because the author of it, he called me on the phone after I had resigned and was in in private life. Uh, he must have called me fifteen or eighteen, maybe twenty times, and we've discussed all of this, and he never. His book shows no reflection of it all. His, his basic, you know, solution for um, the problem with Islamis, Islamism in that book was uh, they should arrange it so Arab women are more uh, licentious uh, with men. So the men wouldn't take their uh, uh, frustration, sexual in nature, out by flying planes into a building. That's the quality of his analysis. But anyway, when I heard it was announced, uh, and after I saw a couple of the sections reviewed, I wrote a, a letter to. Uh, it was it was produced or so, somehow it was uh, in the charge of something called Legendary um, Legendary. I, th- I have the, still have the documents. Legendary Productions or Entertainment or something like that. And I said, listen, well, you're producing a story that has really not very few contact points with what really happened. And I got a letter back from the head of their publicity or public relations department. And they said, well, we're doing this story and we felt we had a a, 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 a right to um, embroider some parts of it or change it for entertainment purposes. So, uh, you know, the, the it, it, was, it, 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 it follows, if, if you track all this stuff. From their refusal, their refusal, their refusal to do anything, then we get attacked. Then we get the negative information about the agency; they get uh, a negative out- invention uh, information about me, about uh, Tom, about any a num- any number of other people. And uh, it, it's just it's in a, it's in a train. It's all it, it's all looked like it was set up. It makes you believe, you know, who knows what what happened on nine eleven anymore? Uh, I thought I knew. And I, and I was I was obdurate in refusing to consider that anything was wrong with the the idea that it was conducted by the enemy itself alone until I saw Building Seven collapse w- with no one able to explain to me at all how that happened so late in the day with no more planes hitting anything. So I'm prattling on here, but I, it's it's a uh, you know we understood we were told. When we were redacting information for the 9-11 Commission, that there was something in their their, uh, uh, um, directive, their order from the Congress, that uh, everything would be redacted so that within a, a limited number of years afterwards, it would all be released to the American people. And you can see how far that has gone. Witness,
2: but but, but uh, my, my problem with me is, I and mean, maybe you can help me out here, was that the CIA knew that Al-Midar and Al-Hazmi were Al-Qaeda, and that they were inside the United States. Why didn't they tell anybody about them being inside the United States?
0: I have no idea. Well, I think you can spin a story off your own hook about that. Right. What, about I, I
2: don't. I don't. But with me, I'm on. I like to put myself separate. So I'm a. I I go by data processing. I don't like speculation, and I don't like to
0: I, up- do, I, I exactly do, too. Now, if you have been one of 28 people or 29 or 30 people who had spent four, five, six years of their lives um, uh, trying to make sure that Osama bin Laden didn't attack the United States when we knew that was his major plan, his uh, plan to bring us back into the region so he could knock us around there, do you really think that the 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 working guy, the guy who had been you know working on this for a long time, would withhold that information more than temporarily till he cleared it with someone else? Uh, I, I don't buy it. I wasn't there. You know, I'm talking speculatively here.
2: Right, right, right.
0: I was, I was, uh, I was on a punishment tour at the time doing narcotics.
2: Because it, it just like, because uh, it's did, there seems to be two different uh, personalities that Alex you have you and then you have Blee, and then things change along that line. And it's like, I can't, uh, it bothers me to the fact that, and I think you can understand, is that one agency would know a certain thing that could actually. Uh, benefit them if they actually share that information but then again like what you're saying that other agencies are stealing from you so there's a there's this huge there's oh, a lot of, there's a lot it is, like, it is huge no but... one trusts nobody at this point and it really fell at the uh, at the not to benefit the American people because 9-11 did happen
0: it benefited nobody right uh, except the FBI
2: well, how, how did they, they manage
0: to put the blame on us?
2: Oh, uh, okay, I got you. Yeah, but uh, but but you can understand, Mr. Shoyer, that there would be some level of resentment regarding that there were two Al Qaeda operatives inside the United States that the CIA knew, but the FBI didn't.
0: Well, if you believe that story, yes, it'd be a terrible thing. I don't believe it.
2: What? What's you know? Easy? I think
0: I, I can't. I can't help but wonder why, uh, if this was such a CIA failure why wasn't i called to testify hmm. you would
2: not have called to testify
0: not once closed door to one time i was but it wasn't for the, for the uh, uh the, the why would they choose tom who had been there for not a long time a long time in ctc but not a long time on al qaeda and Instead of the guy who they want to blame for this or that or the other thing. I don't think it was about,
2: because this had, didn't happen on your tenure. And I think that's the reason why you weren't called. What
0: happened on my tenure was that uh, the Central Intelligence Agency's leadership, the FBI leadership, they facilitated 9-11. By not doing anything with everything within their realm of capability. That's the way I look at it, sir.
1: I have to ask about the, the comment on Building 7, because we've interviewed one of the physicists who is absolutely convinced, the very intelligent fellow, absolutely convinced that there were bombs laced throughout the buildings and, and the Twin Towers too. And I think Adam and I have taken an agnostic stance on that, not having any physics knowledge ourselves. But, of course, it does suggest a much deeper reality beyond that, in that if there's even a hint of truth in that, you then have to have operatives moving the hijackers around, and this becomes not a an accident but this highly coordinated program that with with help from the inside and I, I was actually one of my final questions just through looking through your podcast and seeing that you interviewed people uh, about the the kennedy assassination on there and you've interviewed uh, james perlock who's in the story and i find very interesting i don't always agree but i think he's got very interesting and very conspiratorial take on history i, I was going to ask how your perspective on the world might have changed uh, over the past 20 years but to, to really go into that, then um, I suppose anyone who goes down the 9/11 was an inside job route was really pointed at the CIA as being the people, um, as being the people coordinating that, and the FBI are kind of the dupes. They're they're kind of like right. taken along for the ride. And what what's really amazing uh, from what I'm hearing now is you, you're you seem to be acknowledging a possibility that there was an inside operation because of Building 7 and the way it came down, but saying. It's certainly not in the way people think. Don't look at Alex Station. The Alex Station was full of dedicated people who wanted to stop this. So the the agents who are organizing it, they exist, they exist elsewhere. Is that a, a fair characterization of your position? I
0: think, I think that uh, my position is that the agency did, at the working level and at the level of our our people in the field, did everything they were tasked to do in December of 1995. And, and completed all of the things except the one thing that I, I or my, my officers could not be responsible for, and that was ordering the elimination either by uh, the military or by kidnapping of Osama bin Laden. That's where I am. And in terms of Building 7, I resisted forever watching these, these things. Uh, but when I finally did sit down and watch Building 7, I thought, you know, good God here, how, how could that come down in that way when nothing hit it? Could it been heat? Could it been what? And no one's come up with an explanation yet, but I've seen several of the physicists and engineers and quorums of them speaking at conferences, uh, uh, on video, of course. But it's raised a question with me, but more importantly, uh, in, my, in my own thinking, I've watched all of this stuff uh, go on with Trump. I've watched all of the stuff now that that looks like COVID is, is a, a murderous operation conducted by people uh, deliberately. Um, my whole view of how the American government works is much more um, jaded than it was previously more or less because of what my own experience, but it, it's been buttressed by 20 years of more of this nonsense, uh, and and uh, I guess that's that's where I stand. And if you if you look at my blog, I've, I've been very clear about this on on that for a long time. Uh, we have generals who can't win wars. We have border patrols that can't uh, protect the border. We have uh, people willing to stand up and lie about climate fraud as if it was, um, you know, the gospel. When we have as many, uh, what do they say, Uh, Nobel laureates, uh, scientific Nobel laureates on one side as we have the other, but it's a closed question. Uh, The the idea that every other week we get some kind of a command from the World Economic Forum, that that... uh, is treated by by Biden's administration as law. Yeah, I'm I'm my my view of I don't think it's conspiratorial anymore. I think there's so much. If you're, and I I wrote a blog just this week. There's so much uh, so many things that have happened that if you think they could be all all could be just a coincidence, uh, it's 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 something. Now I wouldn't take that yet back to the 9-11 issue. But the doubts in my mind are now much stronger than they ever have been before. Are, okay. you, familiar and- with Don-
2: are you familiar with Donald Canestrero? With who? Donald Canestrero.
0: I know of a Vince Canestrero.
2: Yeah, but you no. Know, there's a guy named Donald Canestrero. He worked for the Office of Military Commissions. And what he did was um, he had interviewed people from CIA and FBI they spoke anonymously about a a covert report uh, that the CIA and Saudis were running inside the United States. this is after you were gone, the Elk Station, that the CIA and the Saudis were running a joint operation in monitoring al midar and Al-Hazmi inside the United States. Um, what, what, like you do you talk about like conspiracy involving like World Trade Center Seven and the is. is Like, could there have been a conspiracy running behind at at the doors of the CIA that they didn't know about?
0: Well, certainly there's a possibility that there was something going on that I didn't know about. Right. Um, uh, You have to remember that John Brennan was was the chief in Saudi Arabia for virtually the whole time uh, that I was running Alex Station. And uh one of the things we asked him to do was to ask the Saudis to provide public information about bin Laden, uh, birth certificate, uh, wedding certificates, health records, investment uh, records if they were available. And he kept he kept not answering the cables. so we, I finally sent one that was directed to him directly and to say, you know, we really need this information. So the, we, he sent a message back and said, the Saudis don't like us asking this stuff, so we're not going to do this. We took that information up to the director, tenant, and he didn't do anything about it. So I don't know what's possible in this world anymore. I only know what I saw.
2: Right.
0: And, and uh, I was out of the loop, uh, certainly until the day after 9-11, and then I came back for... Um, Oh, I don't know what was it about three years, and then I then I resigned in two thousand and four.
1: Regarding you- um, Saudi Arabia and the uh, the embassy and and Brennan, it just uh, ties in. I wondered if you ever experienced any tension between your aim and the aim of Alex Station at shutting down Islamic terrorism and shutting down Al Qaeda, and a kind of geopolitical sphere where radical Islam is being. Used first in Afghanistan, but then across the stand countries in Azerbaijan, and ultimately in the breakup of Yugoslavia to kind of tilt the board uh, in a direction's favorable to U.S. foreign policy objectives. And one place where that people talk about that coming up is in the ninety-three bombing and the fact that uh, the blind Sheikh Omar Abdul Rahman is allowed in to the United States and. Again, the, the narrative, for the people who are interested in this, the, the, the narrative comes down to that he seems to receive some level of protection. So in, initially when there's the assassination of Maya Kahani, uh, it's looked at as being um, a kind of lone gunman thing, even though it very much isn't. So Al-Sayed El- Nasser is locked up for that. But the fact that his um, his house is full of documents from Fort Bragg, provided them from Ali Muhammad, is kind of covered over. And then they get this guy, um, uh, Iman Salem, Inside the cell, and the FBI counter-terrorist officer time, Carson Numba inexplicably, totally inexplicably, pulls him out in a way that makes no sense. And again, the narrative that is spread it's it's the the tentacles of the CIA are over this, and they're playing geopolitical games and sending signals down to to protect this cell, and um, either because they ultimately want these things to happen, or because the um, the center there, the Al Center in in New York, is a recruiting ground for foreign fighters. So, uh, just to to summarise my question there, it's like, did you ever experience that tension of um, security versus geopolitical objectives? And also, is, is that narrative true? Or perhaps um, do you think it's false, the idea that the CIA had any influence over what the FBI were doing with the um, the, the terrorist cell in New York?
0: Well, we, had, we had zero influence on it. We probably had zero knowledge of it. The agency would send agency officers to work with the FBI who they were sure would not... Uh, Ruffle, ruffle any feathers <clears throat> and I think uh, implicitly that they wouldn't bring back any information that would cause a problem between the two agencies uh, I, I you know where I stand at the moment is that i've I've witnessed uh i would say since 1995 and never more so than in the past you know, five years three years that there doesn't seem to be very many people uh, who give a good damn in the senior levels of this government about the american people Um, and the more i see of today's events makes me focus back on what i saw and what i didn't see or didn't realize or was too naive to think about and i'm not a very really naive guy in terms of the of working for uh, intelligence service. But I I don't know what to say to you. Uh, Is it possible? I'm getting to be to the point that anything is possible. Did they burn up Maui with directed energy weapons? I don't know. But it's odd that so many trees are standing around places that were burned down.
2: Were you aware at any point, Mr. I just want to get your thoughts. Were you aware of any point, Nick, because you're... Uh, this this actually happened after you left Alex Station, between 2000 and 2001. There was a large Israeli intelligence operation inside the United States that were live that were using uh, moving companies and, art, and It was called the Art Student Ring. It was a report by the Drug Enforcement Agency that they would have these Israeli students come, art students, allegedly, that they would come to the homes and businesses of the FBI, the DEA, and other government entities and sell these cheap art. And that uh, they thought that this was, uh, you know, they were hiding, like, recording devices so they can listen to the homes and businesses of these people. Were you aware of any large such uh, Israeli operation that was conducted inside the United States? They were living nearby, uh, the Al-Qaeda affiliates and people that were involved with 9-11.
0: Um, let me say just to start that I am an inveterate, uh, opponent of the American relationship with Israel. I think as George, George Sen, George Tenet said in, in 1949, this is a relationship that has nothing in it for us and everything in it for them. Uh, I believe they're capable of doing anything. Uh, against the united states if it's in their interests was there reporting about activities around uh, military installations space installations uh, activities just in business of course there were uh, but it was very component it, it would be very it's very hard to get that information even if you're working in the agency because they keep it confined to a very small number number of people in a distant room, for, for example, or for, for, uh, logistics, uh, uh, ability to get to the people who actually work on it. I, it wouldn't, what, there's nothing that would surprise me if it turned out to be Israel working somehow against us. Um, they've suborned our people, uh, to spy for them. They've given our technology to the Chinese and other people. Uh, they, they're, um, you know, it's, it's just a ludicrous thing that we deal with them as if somehow they are, are equals or somehow even say at times superior, uh, to us. Uh, I think it's a detriment to the United States. I think it's a danger to the United States. They stole the information to make their first bomb from American business in the American government, their atomic bomb. It's a. Um, we wouldn't we might not even tolerate what they do to us from the Brits, but I don't know, maybe the Brits and the Israelis are somehow a, a pair to be reckoned with. Um. I don't know. I, I know I, you vote.
2: You, you you've, you've always have been a, vo- a vocal critic of uh, American Israeli policy. Uh, is it now more so pronounced than ever before?
0: Well, it's it's uh, what i've always tried to do is to not speak of uh the the problem being mostly on the israeli side
2: right
0: and i still believe it is uh mostly on the american side we can't get a quarter of the congress interested in trying to fix the problem of 25 percent of america's children going to bed uh hungry uh, every night but when when APAC holds its annual meeting they get 500 or more senators and congressmen uh at, to attend those things i told uh you, you know I, I testified in Congress one time after i had left the agency about this and they were they were a little upset i said you know you guys must be on the take here. What is the, what is the point of this? Why are we involved in their wars? And, uh, it is, it is just, um, a remarkable thing for the tiniest of, uh, tails to be wagging the biggest of dogs hmm. and, and what really put it, put it uh, an end to it for me. And I've expanded my criticism, both of Jewish Americans and of Israel is the, is the employment of the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center recently to gather facts on conservative Christian Americans to feed the Biden's idea that conservatives, Catholics, and Christians are the enemies of the state. And they, they send that information to the FBI. They send it to the, um, DOJ. They send it to the military. Now, do you think those people would be doing their, doing that if, if there wasn't some interest in it for Israel? I doubt it. But this is, you know, this is just, I'm supposed to be a Jew hater and, uh, you know, a pro-Hitler person now. And and I just look at it from the American's perspective. What in the world do we get out of that relationship? We don't get any more out of that relationship than we do out of our relationship with uh, Ukraine. It, it, in that both of them are, are loser relationships for us. I I answered your question there, sir. Yeah,
2: no, no, it's a, um, actually there was another follow-up to that, um, but on the opposite spectrum. you know, Currently, right now, there's a lawsuit against the uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in which the 9-11 victims' families, law firms like Cridley and uh and Motley Rice are currently uh, working on the Saudi angle Involving one particular person who was inside the United States and assisting Khalid Nawab Alfarhadmi, named Omar al-Bayoumi. I just wanted to get your thoughts about uh, your thoughts about the the lawsuit, and have you been following that story?
0: I I, I have to say that I I am uh, retired from the agency, but not unemployed, so I <coughs> uh, I have not followed that very much, sir. Okay, but I know I can tell you one thing that one of the one of the one opportunity we had while i was chief to uh take osama bin laden capture him uh was uh stopped when uh, it was briefed to uh brennan uh securely not you know not in the open Uh, But he arranged for a meeting between the director of central intelligence. And uh, I was on the trip. Um, Several other people were on the trip. And we met and uh, no one really knew what Brennan had in mind. And he said, uh, we're going to have a meeting with the king. Uh, Oh, the chief of the Near East Division was along with us. We're going to have a meeting with the king. And uh, they're, they they said, uh, "Don't do anything against Bin Laden. We'll take care of the problem uh, quickly." Uh, I, and I said, "Listen, we've been at this a long time. You have never asked them to do a hard thing against Al Qaeda yet. I don't know if you've asked them to do anything about it yet. And all of a sudden, you poop in on the on the wrong t- at the precisely the r- wrong time from my perspective and an American perspective." To get the to shift the responsibility of protecting American citizens from Osama bin Laden to the Saudis, who for years he was the poster boy of what a good Saudi should be. And uh, so I, I got up the next morning and I was found I was disinvited to the meeting. So I uh, you know had coffee and waited until it was time to leave. Well, and they came back and. The, the they said oh the, the the king said, we'll we'll have this problem solved in a couple of weeks. Uh, don't do anything." And so they all bowed, I guess, and kissed his toes and that's what happened. And so the next time uh, Brennan tried to contact uh, the king had assigned it to his intelligence unit and the next time he tried to contact uh, Prince Turkey after this meeting with the King, Prince Turkey was the head of their intelligence. He was told that, uh, the Prince was gone on vacation for the summer for six weeks and, uh, wouldn't be able to talk to him until he got back. And, uh, then they tried to get to his deputy and they couldn't get to him. And so we ended up with nothing from the Saudis and scrubbing an operation that at least had a 50, 50 chance to work. So I'm I'm not a big fan of the Saudis either. I'm a big fan of the United States as it was as it was established. I'm a big fan of killing its enemies if they need to be killed. I am not. Uh, I found out eventually, very happy with being played for a, a fool, uh, and and you know, seeing marriages break up amongst people that worked for me because they were there 14 hours a day, or you know, people delaying, getting operations and that kind of crap. But, uh, you know, the Saudis have, an, have, have much answering to do in my mind without any evidence on the shelf here, other than what I've told you, uh, they have a lot of, uh, some of them at least have a lot of explaining to do about what happened on nine eleven.
2: Just to show you, do you think the United States investigated 9-11 properly, responsibly, out in the open? Or do you think?
0: I think there were some very fine investigators. I think the chairman of the thing was a, a professor from somewhere. And uh can't remember where, but I think he was a political operative. He was, I think he was close to Clinton.
2: Yeah, Philip Zelikow?
0: Zelikow. Yeah. And... Um, some of the other participants like he had a panel of people that he was working with it was him and this panel and then they would decide which direction to take the thing I, I i i've told everything and much more uh that i can't tell you right to all of those people and it's never it's not reflected in their report although it was we kind of made an agreement amongst ourselves, that if we were if we were called to testify, not in public, but in private, that we wouldn't say anything unless we could bring along documents that could support it. So when the people from my office went, from my station went, they had not only knew what they were going to say, but they also had documents that were being supplied through other channels to these people. And they were redacted, but they were showing what we were talking about, but they never paid any attention to it. You know, lack of imagination uh, is what that clown uh, you mentioned his name earlier is that he was the czar for terrorism. Richard Clark, Fark. Yeah, nobody ever asked him why he traveled to the uh, by himself to the uh, Emirates so often. But I not That's another issue, I guess. But uh, he he wrote a piece that said it was a lack of imagination that Bin Laden got away with this. And I thought, you son of a gun you know you're the one that was essential into destroying chances or not doing chances at least not taking chances to to kill bin laden or capture him before 9-11 and they all played their part perfectly afterwards you know i felt like the fool of fools
1: it's a uh
0: I guess, you know, a Catholic growing up in a Catholic education makes you a little naive. And I guess that's what I am or was, I don't think it's the case anymore.
2: Richard, do you have any follow up questions?
1: I'm sure I could ask a hundred, but I just think it would, if I did, it would go on for so long. We've been here until tomorrow. So I, I really think this for me has been the most incredibly enlightening, um, interview in terms of really, I mean, throwing what I thought I knew into disarray. Okay. And making me question, Everything once over, so thank you very much indeed for that, Mister Joy. Well,
0: you're welcome, sir. If I can help, I'm always happy to. But I, you know, my uh, my opinions are my own, and I very seldom change them. Unless what are we're you doing, uh,
2: you're, Right, right. You're you're retired now. What are you doing in public life? You're, anything? Any project? Nothing.
0: <clears throat> Nothing. Oh, publicly? I'm just finishing a manuscript of a book called "Mind Your Own." which is a history of American uh, non-interventionism from the founders to today. And uh, I hope to have it published uh, early next year. Um,
2: are you working on any podcast future for yourself? I mean, you're working oh, you... with, with Mike, right? I think. Yeah,
0: uh... we do, we do two or three shows a week and I write uh, a blog. Um, I haven't done a lot of it lately because I've been tied up, but I wrote one this week and uh I'll be writing more frequently in the future.
1: Podcast looks fascinating. See, Naomi Wolf has been on a few times and Ron yeah. Paul has been on. That's incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to be checking some, that out.
0: We've had some very good guests. Uh Colonel Mike, my partner, is a is a whirlwind when it comes to finding people. Uh he's very uh uh quick off the mark on stories, and he's done a I think he's done a fabulous job in uh finding people to talk to. I throw in one every once in a while, but only rarely. He's he's the drive behind this. I just got the movie star good looks. That's all.
2: <laughs> Michael Shoya, chief of the Bin Laden issue station and author of Imperial Hubris, as well as Marching Toward Hell: American and Islam After Iraq. Mr. Shoya, thank you so very much for coming on to the show.
0: My pleasure, gentlemen. Sorry if I prattled on.
2: No, not at all. So thank, thank you. you.
0: Thank you very much. Bye bye.